0: God, we give thanks for your living word, and we pray together that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's family reunion weekend up in King, North Carolina, where I'm from, and so yesterday I and the family had to travel over. Uh, to mom and dad's house they were hosting this year and so we got there and the cars had been cleared out of the garage I'm sure you've all seen the scene before the tables were set up around the walls and everybody was bringing in their casseroles and their fried chicken and their potato salad we have some healthier members among the younger generations I noticed this year there was uh, a gluten-free option you know, uh, a Mediterranean bean salad. There was sweet and unsweet tea this year. And so we all gathered our food together and blessed it and sat down and started catching up, you know, talking to one another and asking what folks are doing. And you can always notice at the family reunion when somebody walks over to an immediate family member and whispers in their ear, they're trying to remember the name of that person they just talked to across the room. Who they can't quite remember. But with my family, after we've gotten together and eaten and caught up just a little bit, we always inevitably move into a circle. And the old folks get out their guitars and their banjos and their mandolins, and they start to sing. And in that circle, we sang together, Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by. There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. The older I get, the more I realize that my life was built on and has been sustained by that circle, that circle of love that is represented every time we get together and sing those songs together. My life depends on People like Roy and Shelva and her brother who was there yesterday, Bob, and her sister, Brenda, and her daughter, my mother, Darshan, and Clint, and her sisters, Deborah and Leah. They were, we were all there yesterday. The, 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 the gift of a circle of love is that it makes us who we are. It loves us into being, and that is the circle that my life depends on. And yet, I have also had the gift of uh, an opportunity to reflect theologically on the gift of my family and what I received in that circle of love, that circle that we sang and prayed and continue to sing and pray will not be broken. I went to divinity school over here uh, on the West Campus and learned about this uh, doctrine of the Trinity and that theological notion of perichoresis, Perichoresis is the Greek word they taught me for that circle where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united by love and dance around together. I love that image from the ancient Greek fathers, the dance that's happening between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And somehow in that dance, we are invited into the circle, invited to be part of this. It was in seminary that I first read Dorotheus of Gaza, who described that circle as a circle of life, on which we all locate ourselves somewhere out along the perimeter. And Dorothea said that God is at the center of that circle, and there are no two points from which you can move towards God without moving closer to your neighbor. That is the circle that I grew up singing about, the circle I was invited into by the church, and the circle that always sustains life in this world that was created by the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet we know, we all know, that that circle has been broken. It has been interrupted. It is fragmented in so many ways. I not only inherited some good bluegrass gospel music, but I also, as a white man growing up in rural North Carolina, inherited a legacy of racism in this place. We are a divided people, just as people have always been divided, and yet the divisions of this place, the divisions of this place in which we all live and have our being, is a division that is highly racialized, where we are separated one from another over and over again. We have to take these divisions seriously because when... When my people sing, will the circle be unbroken, when we say it in various ways, we express an anxiety, an anxiety that is a confession, I think, that we know something is not the way it was made to be. Some things are not the way they were meant to be. Indeed, there are pyramids of power that interrupt the circle that we were made to live in. I think that's Samuel's word to Israel and perhaps his word to us this morning. When they come asking if they can have a king, what Samuel is saying to them in his description of what a king will do, Samuel is saying, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Oh, remember. Remember that you can't have a king at the top without that king taking some people to be his soldiers on this level and taking some people to be his slaves and stealing the land from some folks and using some men and using some women to keep up the pyramid. Don't forget, Samuel says, you built those pyramids with bricks that they didn't even give you straw to make them out of. Remember, pyramids of power interrupt the circle of shalom that we are made for. And yet the people didn't, didn't come out of Egypt without having a little bit of Egypt still in them. And so all of us, all of us have a desire to be like the nations of the world. And Israel had a desire to have a king like the other kings. They said, give us a king, give us a king. And so Samuel told them what kings will do. We must be honest in our own time about what kings and worldly kingdoms will do and do. We didn't get rid of chattel slavery in this country without uh, an immediate backlash of racism that expressed itself in an an anti-Reconstruction movement in the South, when just as black folks were coming into their own, coming into citizenship, getting the promise sometimes of 40 acres and a mule, there was a backlash against that, a sort of extremism that said we can't have equality in the way it has been expressed by our federal government people in this place people in the south ran the federal government out of the south and we cannot gather here without remembering that this very place this trinity college that became duke university was established right in the midst of that there was there were circles Circles of people coming together right here in North Carolina. We had a fusion movement happening just as this place was being built. A fusion movement that brought Lincoln Republicans, which would have included every black person who could vote at the time, Lincoln Republicans together with progressive populists, coming together to try to form a new kind of North Carolina. They had rewritten our Constitution and said things like, every human being, every person is endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. You've heard this before, life, liberty, but then they added one. Life, liberty, the just fruit of their labor, and the pursuit of happiness. You get some new language when when you invite people who have been slaves into the process, when you invite them into the process of naming what every person deserves. This fusion movement was happening even as Trinity College was being established here in this place, and yet there was a violent backlash against it right at the end of the 19th century. It was a violent backlash, and it must be said here in church that it was a religious backlash, that there were preachers who preached the message of redemption, they called it. It was a Redeemer's movement. The Redeemer's movement said that white people had to maintain control, had to maintain the natural order as they had been proclaiming it from the scriptures, They preached that message and they gave white folks in red shirts guns and they sent them down to Wilmington, North Carolina where they destroyed the African American community and successfully executed the only coup d'etat that's ever happened in the United States. 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. We have this legacy of injustice. We have this pyramid of power right in our midst and yet the circle. The circle is always there, always there pushing us toward shalom. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. One of my favorite stories of the circles that emerged in resistance to that Jim Crow that was established in this place, one of my favorite stories, is the story of Jay Lynn Alexander, who worked right here on this campus, worked here cleaning buildings through the 40s and the 50s. In the 1940s, he established in Walltown, the neighborhood just north of here, the neighborhood where he lived, he established the first after-school recreation program for what were then called Negro youth in Durham. He established it in a little building that he rented on Sedgefield Street, and he invited a little circle of people to help him support it. People he worked with here at Duke University, some of them were white folk and some of them were black folk, but they would make donations to this Walltown Youth Center. And they had bowling activities. They had a little little bowling lane they put in right there. They had softball teams. They had a library they set up and and, and were investing in young people just like the ones who read to you today who were part of the Walltown Aspiring Youth Program over in Walltown. I love that story because it's one of those circles that interrupted this legacy of sin and injustice that was real in this place, that interrupted what, what, what was wrong and yet offered a little picture of what the alternative could be. I've even heard some stories. Now, y'all don't tell anybody, but I've heard some stories that some white students who were here on campus in the 50s and the 60s wandered over there and spent a little time with those youth who were in J. Lynn Alexander's program. In our gospel text today, Mark gives us the backlash against Jesus. But we can't understand the backlash without understanding what Jesus was proclaiming from the very beginning of Mark's gospel. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. In light of Samuel's insight, we can see clearly that this is not A kingdom of this world this is not even the kingdom of israel which had been set up despite his better advice no this is a new kind of kingdom a new order that is coming into the world jesus proclaims it is here it is now and jesus invites us to be part of this circle no sooner than he started teaching it Jesus begins to establish a circle. He invites 12 disciples to follow him just before our text today in Mark's gospel. And Mark is explicit in naming who those disciples are and where they come from. It's fascinating if we pay attention to note that the early circle of disciples was a fusion coalition. Jesus calling together people who might not be together otherwise. These are not just 12 good old boys from Galilee. No, he calls Simon the Zealot to be there with Matthew, the tax collector. Oh, my Lord. Let me break it down in today's language. He invites a, 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 a fully vetted government employee working for the IRS to sit down in the circle and be part of this family with somebody under FBI surveillance because he's been out in the streets with his fist upraised saying, shut it down. They're together in one circle. They're together in one circle. Jesus is establishing a new order in a little circle of 12 people. And Mark says from the beginning that it has revolutionary power to overturn things. There's a backlash against it. It's a violent backlash. It will kill Jesus eventually. But it is also from the very beginning. Let us note, Mark says it. It is a religious backlash. Just as we've seen over and over again. In human history, the language of religion is used to contradict what God wants to do in the world. They say he has a demon. And it's by the power of Satan that he's driving out demons. If you give me just a little moment this morning, I just want to take a moment before I go to my seat to talk about the gentleness of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus and the radical nonviolent love which he shows us in the face of this violence and this religious extremism. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, I've been establishing a circle, and you're invited too. Jesus says, there are many sins that you have done. There are many sins that have been passed down for generations. He said it to them, and he's saying it to us. We have inherited a great deal that divides us. We have inherited walls of division. We have inherited extreme divisions that are written on the landscape and written into the patterns of our lives. But Jesus says, every sin, every sin can be forgiven. This creator who established the first circle of shalom out of the circle that is God's life, this creator says to us, you can be healed. The only thing Jesus says that will keep you from being healed is if you get invited into the circle and having been invited into the circle by the power of the Holy Spirit, having met Jesus face to face, you look at it and say, that's the devil at work. Then Jesus says, oh, woe unto you, woe unto you. There is no way to overcome this kind of rejection Because if you turn the very thing that's meant to save you into the enemy, there is no hope that you will ever embrace it. That's what it means, I think, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit invite you and say that it's an evil spirit. Oh, this is scary territory. Scary territory because it's when religion is used to contradict its very purpose. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. In 1957, there was a white man named Bob Zellner who Uh, left his home in rural Alabama to go to college in Montgomery, a little Methodist school. They told me this was a little Methodist school, too, in 1957. A little (laughs) Methodist school in Montgomery, Alabama called Huntington College. Bob went to school there, and in his sociology class, the professor asked him to write a paper on the race problem. It was 1957. Montgomery had been in the news regarding the race problem. And so Bob, naively enough, thought that he might consult some of the local leaders of the Montgomery Improvement Association about the race problem. He went over and talked to Martin Luther King, who was still the president of the MIA. And Dr. King invited him to a workshop that was going to be happening at the First Baptist Church in just a few weeks. He said, you and your classmates, you ought to come. You could learn something about what you're studying. And so they did. Spent a day at First Baptist Church with folks who had organized the bus boycott and were beginning to think about how they might use the nonviolence of Jesus to confront racism in other places. At the end of that workshop, Dr. King came over to Bob and said, I'm sorry, Bob, but they've just told me that the the building has been surrounded by police and that they intend to arrest you when you leave because uh, you've violated Montgomery's segregation law. You've sat down with black people. Bob said he looked up and said, Oh, I wasn't aware that I was breaking the law. I'm just studying the problem. <laughs> and Dr. King said, Well, maybe there's a way we can get you out of this. He said, Here's what I'm going to do I'm going to go out the front door. There's a bunch of press out there. They want to know what we've been meeting about today. I'm going to make a statement. And maybe the police will be drawn to that and you can slip out the back door. Not making any guarantees, but here's your chance. So he sent him with a lady from the church to go down into the basement. They gave him a little bit of time, and it it worked. The police went up front, and um, uh, she said to him, "Uh, now, if you just go right through this way, about four blocks, you'll be out of the neighborhood. Um, uh, You might make it. Here's your chance. But before she opened the door, as Bob has told me, before she opened the door, Rosa Parks put her hand on his elbow and said, Bob, before you go, let me tell you something when you see a problem at some point you have to stop studying it and do something about it and then she said best of luck and pushed him out the door (laughs) well bob says he hasn't washed his elbow since then and (laughs) that he's never forgotten rosa park's invitation to a young white man who was there to just study something her invitation into a circle of beloved community that has transformed his life. Bob went on to join the movement to be arrested some 18 times and to be nearly beat to death on a few occasions. And yet, through it all, he said he learned something important, that sisterhood and brotherhood is not nearly as impossible as those who profit from preventing it pretend. Let me say it again. Sisterhood and brotherhood is not nearly as impossible as those who profit from ...from preventing it, pretend. Who are my brothers and my sisters, Jesus asked. The ones who do the will of my Father. The ones who accept the Holy Spirit's invitation and join the circle of shalom... ...that is always interrupting what is broken in this world and inviting us into new life. I was with Bob on Monday out in Belhaven, North Carolina... Because in Belhaven, North Carolina, 11 months ago, they closed the Pungo Hospital, which had been opened in 1949 as the first of the rural critical access hospitals that were established in this country by the Hill-Burton Act of 1947. Hill and Burton, a Republican and a Democrat, had come together after World War II to say that access to rural health care is essential to this country's health. There, there were hundreds of established of hospitals established after that act and always sustained by federal money. And yet here in the 21st century, here in this present age of political extremism, there are folks in our state and in other states who have refused federal money coming to the states to keep the hospitals open. And Bob said, I saw it in Montgomery when George Wallace stood in the door of the school and said that it wouldn't be integrated. And he said, I see it here again. They're not standing in the door, they're closing the doors of the hospital. The first hospital to open in Bellhaven was the first one to close last summer. And this past Monday, folks came from 11 different states where these hospitals are scheduled to close this year. 283 of these hospitals will close if some action is not taken. And they began a walk from Bellhaven. DC. The beautiful thing about being there, the beautiful thing to me was that as we arrived there in the sandy parking lot right across from the Pungo hospital that has been closed for 11 months, there were black folks and white folks in a little rural North Carolina town already eating breakfast together. There were some there were some well-to-do folks you know when you go down to the beach and you see a CEO, a CEO at the beach doesn't wear a suit and tie he wears plaid shorts and a golf shirt. there were some of those. There were some of those standing there alongside alongside working folk who had just dumped the trash. The, everyone in Bell Haven has come together. poor folks, well-to-do folks, black folks, white folks. The Republican mayor of this red town in a very red county in a presently red state, this Republican mayor reached out to the NAACP, and they've been working together to form a fusion coalition, a circle of love and shalom that is focused on healing people and saving their hospital oh there are circles there are circles that we can join there are circles all over Durham we got circles starting circles of support and accountability for folks who are coming out of prison who have been convicted of sexual offenses if they're going to come home they need a circle a circle of support and accountability we have we have circles that are helping other folks come home for prison through our religious coalition for a nonviolent Durham There are circles that are walking alongside people who are coming out of poverty. You can join these circles and be part of the beloved community that Jesus invites us into when he says, you've got family where you didn't know you had family. Anyone who does the will of our father in heaven is our family. And yet today, before I go to my seat, I thought that I'd invite you to join just one circle. Now, some of you might have time this week. They're walking all week. You can join the walkers. They're somewhere in Virginia right now walking all the way to D.C. I would encourage you, if you're going to walk, there's a sign at the back that says Save Rural Hospitals. Pick it up and promise to take it with you. They'll be carrying some just like it. When you see them with a sign like yours, you can join them. But not everybody here can join them. Not everybody here uh, can physically be there. And yet, I've learned something about being in circles of people who come from different places. And that is that you learn to sing new songs. So I'm still a country boy from Stokes County. I still sing the bluegrass songs every time I get a chance. But I can't just sing bluegrass anymore. No, I've learned some freedom songs. And so I wanted to invite you to sing a song that we've been singing with the folks who are walking all the way to D.C. until June 15th a song that comes right out of the tradition that's about the walk from N.C. to D.C., the walk to save the 283, as they're saying, the 283 hospitals that are scheduled to be closed. If you're going to sing a gospel song, you've got to stand up. So if if you want to join the circle and sing with our sisters and brothers who are walking, stand up and sing with me. Guide my feet while I run this race. Guide my feet while I run this race. Oh, Lord, guide my feet while I run this race. Cause I don't want to run this race for Guide.